Well, for now, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I've covered a Super Bowl but never worked one before. So uh, to be uh, one of about ten people in that booth, you uh, it, it, put it this way, Derek. There was like a little birdie in my head all day saying, don't screw up, don't screw up, <laughs> don't screw up. Uh, you know, it's you you realize, I mean, the day before when they say, hey, just so you know, there's going to be 110 million people watching tomorrow. It's like, oh, is that all? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the biggest know, t- TV show in the world is uh, you're going to be working that. Yes, no problem. Right. I mean, you know, like you, you think you see something. And in this game, they all go, are you sure? <laughs> and, you know, because basically it's like if you're wrong, it's your job. I mean, just so are you sure? Like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I think. <laughs> so, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, much like the athletes who play in a big game, you know, once the first series comes and goes, you, it, it, the only thing that felt differently is the commercial breaks were longer and halftime seemed like it was an hour. I, I mean, normally the NFL halftime is 12 minutes. You barely have time to grab a bite or, you know, go to the little boys' room, and here you had enough time, you felt like, to go back to your hotel room and change and come back. I mean, it, it, you don't realize just how long halftime is until you're at it. And I thought part of Mahomes' third-quarter performance, Derek, is because when one team has the ball to end the half and then has the ball to start the next half, it's damn near an hour Yeah. So you touch the ball. It really is. That's a very good point. Now, speaking of the halftime show, and that's all I want to talk to you about the halftime show. Now, did you watch it, or was that your time to get a break? Or I mean, because there's been a lot of talk about it, obviously being a little risque. But I mean, what was what was it like for you guys in the booth? Well, I mean, come on now. I mean, did we watch it? Yes, <laughs> I, yes. Uh huh. I'm a big J Lo fan, and uh, now I will say it's a bit of a double standard. I mean, in terms of the ladies being risque, when Adam Levine was it last year who walked around half naked. So, oh, yeah. you know, there is a bit of a double double standard that is at work here. And besides, did you really think Shakira and J-Lo weren't going to shake their thing? I mean, well, right. Oh, come on now. Yes, I mean, this I is mean, obviously. It's, yes. it's kind of like inviting a comedian to the correspondence dinner. I mean, do you think the comedian's not going to make fun of you all? That's kind of his or her act. Well, that's what Come Don Imus said when he got in hot water with the Clintons, right? He said, what do you think right. you're going to get right from me? He looked at him and said, have you heard my show? I've been <laughs> making fun of you for years. Right. <laughs> Very much the same type of thing. One thing that did hit me with, uh, we're talking with David Moulton, former KX4 sports director, has a sports talk show down in Fort Myers, Florida now, and also is a uh, spotter for Troy Aikman and was there yesterday in the big game. It kind of hit me a little bit because Jack Buck will always be you know, forever in my heart with we'll see you tomorrow night and all that, right, in the 1991 World Series, all those nights listening to him do Monday Night Football here on KFGO. And and sure. it really hit Joe that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the I'm doing the, this Super Bowl game with Kansas City in it when my dad did the one way back when, the first one ever. I, that was really something on the 100th anniversary of this league. Well, two things. First off, it goes back two weeks. Joe was unaware that his father – did the Super Bowl four? It was not top of mind when Jim Nance pointed it out at the end of the AFC Championship. First off, Joe and Troy are minutes away from beginning their broadcast of the NFC title game. 
And then Joe, I think, found out about it on Twitter and was very touched by what Jim had to say and was also made aware of it because Joe's 50. So, you know, Joe was an infant. In fact, I'm trying to think was Joe, because I think Joe's birthday is late April. So either Joe was nine months old or Joe was about to be born, one right. or the other. And I think he was nine months old when the game was played. And so, you know, Joe's obviously was not aware, but then he researched it and then re- realized that that was the only Super Bowl on television that his father did as the main play-by-play guy. He did a bunch of them on radio, but that was his only television Super Bowl as the main guy. So, yeah, the you know, and the fact they don't appear for 50 years and what are the odds? I mean, if you thought Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan was an oddity, you know, how about Jack Buck and Joe Buck being the last two guys to broadcast Chiefs Super Bowls? And as it turns out, they both end up broadcasting a Chiefs Super Bowl win. So Joe, I know, spent much of the two weeks trying to find his father's tie. He was trying to wear the same tie that his dad wore in the game. And instead, he went out and bought one that was the closest thing that he could find that looked like his dad's tie. Wow. I mean, because when he's and what hit me when I was watching that, because as you know, I mean, a lot of people like they give Joe a lot of guff, and I think when you're in that role, oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, and you hear it too, but I think you and I both, I like him, and I'm one of the few people I'll get hate mail, you know, text messages coming in about this, but I got goosebumps when he said, I know it means a lot to my mom because I thought, oh my goodness, yep. yeah, I mean, th- for me that was so real, that was real TV there when he said that. Totally, I mean, he, he you know, for a split second there was, I think, slightly choked up emotionally, you know, his mom and his sister. Absolutely it does. Yep. And it meant a lot to Joe. I mean, Sam Farmer, the L.A. Times, did a piece in which he got a hold of the tape of Super Bowl Four, and he flew to Joe's house in St. Louis about 10 days ago and sat down, and they put the game in the machine, so to speak, and Joe watched Super Bowl Four in color for the first time. And, you know, there was his dad. And, you know, that's emotional in and of itself when you're close to your dad and he's gone. And then to, you know, and Sam did essentially Joe wrote the story or Joe just talked out loud throughout the game and Sam wrote it down. And it kind of comes across as a bit of a player's tribune type piece, but it was in the L.A. Times. And, you know, for those that don't like Joe Buck, I would say, I'll tell you what, you read the piece in the L.A. Times about 10 days ago, and if you still don't like them, hey, fine. But I thought that that piece is as real and as raw a piece as has ever been done about Joe. And he's been doing this at the network level for about 25 years. And, yeah, it it meant a lot. Um, There's a lot of things about the Super Bowl, though. I mean, can you believe, for what it's worth, you talk about a strange stat, We've now had six consecutive Super Bowls in which the team that wins the toss has lost the game. Is that right? That is that is yeah, bizarre. It was five in a row coming in, and the Niners won the toss. Sherman called tails, and it was tails. So six consecutive Super Bowls now. The team that won the toss has lost the game. That is crazy. What was it that like? What was it like in the booth when it looked like the 49ers had the game, right? And then... You know, maybe some questionable play calling, not running the ball, much like, you know, he didn't have, he didn't run the ball with the Falcons against the Patriots either, did Shanahan. Uh, what, what was your take going on, you know, whether it be behind the scenes or in the breaks when you and Troy and Joe were talking with you spotting up there? Well, 
the drive that when they're down 10 and they get the ball back with around nine minutes to go, that felt like, okay, this is make it happen time. They got to do something here or else they're not going to have enough time, even though they've got all three timeouts. But this is make it happen time. And when Mahomes misses Tyree Kill wide open over the middle and he traps it, and now it's third and 15, you know, they've completed one pass beyond 11 yards before this 40-something yard completion to Hill. And it's third and 15. And, you know, and Troy and I were discussing while they're walking up to the line of scrimmage, I say, how many yards do they have to get to go for it on fourth down? And he said, hmm, I don't know. And I said, I think they got to cut it in half. Fourth and seven or less, I would go for it because there were seven minutes to go. And Troy was thinking, you know, they're not going to convert here. They may get some of it back. And, you know, do they have to go for it on fourth down? And then what – and, Derek, we all know this. Sometimes one play, there's a compilation of things that one play exacerbates. You know, one of the things that I don't think most of us knew leading up to that third and 15 is that, you know, the Niners defense had been on the field for about 15 more plays than the Chiefs defense. The plays were getting up there. They were close to 60. And that's about the breaking point for an NFL defense. And the Chiefs on that drive went up-tempo for the first time. No team, by the way, all year had run less up-tempo snaps than the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, because of the clock, go up-tempo. So they're going fast. And now they finally make a play. And they make it when the Niners' defense's tank is, you know, in that yellow part. When you're like, boy, I really need to stop over and get some gas and I don't know if I'm going to have time. And so that's why everything became an avalanche, because then the Niners come back out and they do what? They go three and out, something that I don't believe they did all day except for that drive. You know, the one drive in which even if they get a first down, just to hold them off a little bit, things could have been different. But no, they go three and out. And so now it's game on. And you know, it just obviously it it snowballed. I mean, but still, I mean, twenty four twenty, three minutes to go. You got all three timeouts, and you got a chance to win the Super Bowl. I mean, they they didn't do anything the last four times they had the ball. Yep, they they had two first downs. The last four possessions did the Niners. I mean, so the game was there for the taking on both sides of the ball, and they let it get away. And quite frankly, as we all know. Don't know if and when you're going to get back. Well, that's you just really it. don't. Yep. I mean, if you had to bet right now, my twenty bucks, think Jimmy G and the Niners go back in the next five years? Yeah, you think they go back? Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, because it, it, it could go different ways, right? Where you can never recover from this and never get back there, like Dan Marino, or you can, you know, make up for it in time, right, and learn your lesson. It, it, but boy, it seems like the Super Bowl loser even has a tougher time than the conference championship loser sometimes. Well, unless your name's the New England Patriots, you have not handled losing the Super Bowl very well. That's true. Seattle hasn't gone back. The Rams missed the playoffs. I mean, more Super Bowl losers miss the playoffs the next year than even return to the playoffs. Forget returning to the big game. I'm just talking about getting in the tournament again. So, and look at the division they're in. I mean, the Rams figure to be competitive. Arizona's only going to get better. And Seattle's probably, I mean, if they keep clowning, Seattle will definitely be better than they were this past year. So, you know, this could be 
we think the window is more open for Kansas City than we think the window is for the Niners also because the NFC is just a hell of a lot harder. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, David Moulton with us, former KX4 sports director, was a spotter and researcher for uh, Troy Aikman all season long and with yesterday's Super Bowl game as well. How happy were you for Andy Reid? I mean, here's a guy who's been – some of those coaches, they just never get it, right? I mean, he was on his way to maybe being like the, the next Marty Schottenheimer, a great coach that just never got the ring, and here he finally gets the ring. And the way he got it also, you know, coming from behind – made the big move three years ago to trade up to take Mahomes. You know, at the time they traded up, you're like, is it Mahomes? Is it Watson? You know, I mean, it's not like Deshaun Watson's not a really good quarterback also, but they end up taking Mahomes, the type of quarterback that had never really made it in the NFL. One of those you know, big 12 offenses, you know, those chuck and duck offenses that we all think, ah, these quarterbacks never make it in the league. <laughs> and it turns out this guy's a little different. And, I mean, to think he's still not old enough to rent a car, you know. Right. That's crazy. Now, I don't know if any of the major companies would actually have the audacity to not rent him a car, but he's just 24. He still can't rent his own car. Man, he... an MVP in a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP, but – Somebody close to him needs to drive him around if he travels. That is a little odd because that makes me realize he's just a year older than my stepson. So <laughs> that really puts it in perspective because I can't imagine uh, Kyler being on that stage. That is for sure. That is really cool to think about. I, I think for really for the area of Kansas City, too. I mean, it's been a, a magical five years for them, but especially with the Chiefs because the Royals, they've always loved George Brett or whatever, but that's been a football town. So after a 50-year drought, I was really happy for the city of Kansas City. Well, I think most what have become major cities can relate. There has to be either a company or a sports team that really puts you on the map. And that was the Chiefs. It's not that there weren't other sports teams, but – You know, the Kansas City baseball team for the longest time was a AAA affiliate that the Yankees rated to, you know, become great. And, uh, yeah, there was the NBA through there. And I think, you know, hockey had a a pit stop. But, you know, the Chiefs, who moved from Dallas, you know, to Kansas City, they really helped make that area what it has become. And I think we all can relate because, you know, Patrick Mahomes is arguably, Derek, in the 2020s, he could become the number one athlete in this country. Yep, no doubt. I I would argue right now it's still LeBron, Brady, LeBron, but, you know, Tom's 42 and LeBron's 35 and, you know, Mahomes is 24. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kansas City may have for the first time ever, and George Brett was big and Bo Jackson was a phenomenon, but Kansas City could have the sports icon in this country for a decade or more. And you're lucky if you get one of them. And Kansas City has their one. And, you know, most of us as fans – I mean, you're lucky if you get one. I mean, for all the great athletes that have come through the Twin Cities, has there been a point in time in which you felt that the guy, I mean, and Kirby Puckett was a big 
deal outside of the Twin Cities also. But, you know, was Kirby Puckett ever Patrick Mahomes? No, he wasn't Michael Jordan-esque or something like that. No. I mean, what you're thinking is he could be and, Jordan-esque, and I don't disagree with you. I, I, I thought that last night when I saw him hold up the Lombardi trophy, I said, you know, this could be the, the face of the NFL here for a while. Well, which therefore makes you the damn near the face of American sports. Right. Yep. No, there's no question. David Moulton with us, former KX4 Sports Director, spotter researcher for uh, Troy Aikman. And uh, I also should mention, too, you mentioned the type of quarterbacks. He's. What did you think? I just got to ask you this because you do this for Gary Danielson on CBS, too. Joe Burrow and, and you know, Tua, you've seen all those guys. I mean, these guys will be neck and neck, though. There is some excitement for the young quarterbacks in this league. Well, and there is a little concern as to just who is now value going forward if he can't move the way he used to be able to move. Because if you take a look at Mahomes' rushing totals in the postseason, I think if you add up all three games, I mean, we're not talking about Lamar Jackson rushing totals, but I think if you add them all up, it's like 110 yards, but also it's like 11 first downs. I think he averaged basically a first down a quarter. And if you think about that, if, it, you know, defensively, you've got them stopped. And then the quarterback scrambles and gets them a new series of downs. And what oftentimes happens, you know, how many times can you stop this team? And you think you got them stopped. And with his legs, he extends a drive. And how many times does that add up into points? I mean, you know, that's four extra first downs a game. If one of those first downs turns into a touchdown drive, well, how many games are determined by seven points or less? <laughs> a so lot of them, that's yeah. the part going forward here that, you know, we've been, this has been a league dominated by a guy eight yards behind center. you got to be able to throw from the spot. And I'm wondering now with modern defenses and the speed and how much they're attacking the quarterback, do you have to have a guy who can get you three or four first downs a game with their legs? They don't have to run like Lamar for 1,300 yards, but will they run for, I don't know, three, 400 yards, but they'll get you 30 first downs with their legs throughout the course of a season, and therefore what it is you do with that. That's what I think the Burrow and the Tua, you know, at least pre-injury, guys like that bring to the equation, which are really killers for a defense because it just adds up the plays. And even if that drive doesn't result in points, you may run six extra plays and then that may pay dividends midway through the fourth quarter. I mean, we saw it last night. I mean, I think San Francisco up until the very end, when Kansas City took the lead, I think the Niners at that point in time had run 43 plays and the Chiefs had run 68. Wow. Big difference. That's unreal. That's that's amazing. You just don't hear. Yeah, because time of possession doesn't really mean as much for the Chiefs. They just Ooh. it's all about the plays that they run. That's a very good point. There you go. I mean, imagine chasing that guy for seventy plays. No. Well, it's funny you say that because the one thing I think Mahomes is different, as you said, a Jackson or maybe RG three before him, where they you know will get dinged up sometimes. A guy like RG three is. Mahomes is pretty smart about it. You know, he slides when he needs to most of the time outside the fumble he almost had yesterday, but he goes right to the chains and runs out of bounds. And that's, you know, being a Viking fan, I can tell you, Favre in his early years and A-Rodge does that all the time. It drives you crazy. So I think your point's well taken there. 
now I will say it was the Super Bowl, and there were twice yesterday in which Mahomes, you mentioned the one with the fumble where he slid late inside the five and the ball got knocked loose, but also he had that one by the goal line where he kept the ball on a running play and got absolutely Ooh. annihilated on the five-yard line. It's kind of like, ooh, give it to someone else, son. But, <laughs> you know, it's the Super Bowl. You, we can kind of excuse it in the Super Bowl, but regular season game in October, you got to get rid of that ball. My final thing for you is, uh, do you ever wish you had a time machine for one thing, it, it, to go back and if you could have seen that little kid that Pat Mahomes was carrying around at the Metrodome when you were covering games or whatever when you were working at gigs for, it'd be fun to be, be, go back and say, boy, young man, there's going to be some big things happening for you someday. Well, how many times, though, have we heard, it's not just the genes that pass down from father to son or to daughter, but it's the fact that they grow up in the room and therefore they're not intimidated about it. I mean, you know, remember when Ken Griffey Jr. came up, and he acted like he belonged at 19. And his father said, well, it's not just that he's talented. It's just that this is all he's known. Yeah. This doesn't intimidate him. This is, you know, Tuesday. I mean, I used to take him to the ballpark. I mean, Mahomes' kid was walking around locker rooms, whether it was the Twins, and he credits the Mets also. When Mahomes in the early 2000s was with the Mets, and they appeared in a World Series and went to the playoffs a couple times. He said, you know, I really remember those years. I was kindergarten age, and, you know, those years, I really remember. Those are my first memories, if you will, and he you know, just felt comfortable. And I will say, though, if you're Major League Baseball, you got to find a way to get the Pat Mahomes of the world to play baseball. I mean, this is what they lost out on. Think about it. They didn't get Mahomes. They didn't get Kyler Murray. You know, guys who were drafted and had a chance to play that sport, and they're all deciding to play football. I mean, if you're Major League Baseball, you got to figure out how do we get the Kyler Murrays and the Pat Mahomes of the world to play our sport. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's for sure. And final thing, going back to that time when uh, Pat Mahomes was pitching for the Twins, you were here, and who'd have thunk that you and I, you know, what twenty-five, uh, you know, almost thirty years ago, are sitting in a closet doing this. Did you ever think that while Troy Aikman was playing for the Cowboys 25 years later, you'd be up in the booth with him spotting a Super Bowl? I mean, honestly. No, uh, <laughs> definitely not. I, I spent a lot of time yesterday afternoon in the booth just sitting there and, and thinking, quite frankly, thinking about 30-plus years of working in the minor leagues, if you will, and also thinking about my grandparents and just you know, culminating in, wow, getting to work the Super Bowl. And then that little birdie in my head just keeps saying, yeah, but don't screw up. <laughs> don't screw up. So, you know, my understanding is I didn't screw up yesterday. So, <laughs> that, damn. Yeah, that's great. Hey, that's a great story. So much fun. Just, was, I thought about you a lot when you were up there and all that was going on with, uh, you know, Joe Buck getting emotional all that. I just thought, boy, this is quite an experience. So, Really, congratulations on being a part of that. I know that's really got to be a cool thing for you to experience and really fun to hear from you. I really thank you for your time. This has been really, really intriguing. Well, Derek, thanks for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. And uh, much like when Joe said, you know, it was a really big thing for his mom and his sister, uh, it was a thrill for me to see how happy my mother and my wife and my daughter were yesterday. It's like, wow, this must be a big deal. They're excited. They're impressed. Huh, this is a BFD. I didn't realize it. So man, that was neat. That was really, really cool. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you down in uh, spring training here in a few weeks.
Looking forward to it. First round on me. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Be good, Derek.